Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I am a qualified clinical psychologist. So what I love about doing the role that I do in supporting aspiring psychologists is the truly random and wide breadth of um, different expertise and experiences that you guys have as listeners. And today's podcast is a guest podcast episode with someone I'd connected with on LinkedIn. And they are at a much earlier stage of their psychology career and had wanted to ask me some questions. And I said, you know what? This would make a really good podcast episode because other people will likely want to know the answer to your questions too. So would you be up for coming on and asking me on the session? So uh, the answer was yes, thankfully. Um, And yeah, we had a slight glitch um, with the Wi-Fi um, for our guest today. And so I'm on camera, um, but the lovely Ben, um, we've got got a photo. But yeah, if you're wanting to to watch on YouTube, please do come along. It's Dr. Marianne Trent. And whilst you're there, you know, click a few likes make a few comments um, and yeah, get chatty in the comments because that's always really nice to see. You can also, if you're not a fan of listening to podcasts, you can also access um, the back catalogue of these podcast episodes as blog articles too. To do that, you go to www.goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk forward slash blog. I hope you find this episode really useful and I will look forward to catching up with you on the other side. Hi, welcome along to Ben Munro, who's joining us for today's podcast episode. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much. And this episode is going to be a little bit different to usual. So um, for those of you who have listened to episodes before, you might well have heard me say that I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. And I think Ben was like, well, I'm taking I'm taking her for her word and I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to connect with her. And um, yeah, we got chatting um, in the DMs on LinkedIn. And I was like, Ben, do you fancy coming on and being a guest on the podcast and you were like ah okay (laughs) so um to give a bit of context Ben is um a little earlier in his career than most people well all people we've had on the podcast so far which I think is really really exciting and shows us you know what a diverse group of people we are reaching with this podcast so Ben um has told me that he is in his first year of 
A-levels at college. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So it's exciting. I, you know, it's bringing back all sorts of memories when I was doing my A-level psychology. Um, Yeah, exciting times, exciting times. (laughs) How are you finding it? It's good, yeah. It's definitely definitely much better than secondary school, sort of a new independence and stuff. Uh, it's great and obviously I'm studying psychology biology and maths and they're all that's like some of my three favorite subjects at GCSE it's going it's going real well yeah oh good so we had a little bit of crossover there so I did biology and psychology I thought about maths but my favorite maths teacher wasn't doing the a-level syllabus and I was like well no I think I only got my A in maths because of my favourite maths teacher, so I'm going to give that a side swerve. Oh, and you did psychology GCSE, you said as well. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's still quite um, like nobody who I know who I didn't go to my school does it, so it's quite rare around around where I'm from. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different to the A level. Lots less, lots less essays and stuff. Yeah. So, what's the dream? Where do you hope to get to? What do you want to do when you're, <laughs> I was going to say, when you're when you're all grown up, when you're a proper grown up, but frankly, I still don't feel like a proper grown up. So <laughs> yeah. what what do you hope will be in your future career? Um, a a decline qualification, I guess, at the end of the day. Um, but I, I want to be, I want to help people is the, is the end goal, I guess, no matter sort of what it ends up being, just helping people in general. Brilliant. Well, I think that it's really exciting that you know that at this stage of your career, because it really helps you to like supercharge the direction that you want to go in, really. Um, Whereas I only discovered or thought that I wanted to be a clinical psychologist pretty much during the last weeks of my undergraduate degree, (laughs) when I was already studying psychology. So, you know, you've got this golden opportunity to really use this time as bonus time. And I guess... Yeah, like I know that our purpose of our podcast today is for you to ask me lots of questions. Um, But in your position, what I'd be doing is thinking about whether there's any work I could do even now at A-level years that is about developing my ability to work with some of the core and key groups that um, that, that clinical psychologists work with. So um, when I was your age, which sounds so patronising, and I'm sorry I just said it, <laughs> um, I was working in boots um, at my weekends. But had I known that I wanted to be a psychologist, then I might well have looked to work with adults or, um, you know, children, young people, older adults. I don't know, like some sort of care role or something that allowed me to to get a really good head start on that so that I was, you know, hitting the ground running when I got to university, I guess. Yeah, so I worked with the with the vaccination programme for COVID, doing like sort of the behind the computer um, stuff and that sort of helped me sort of get a, and more I feel of working for pa- working with patients and you know um and other healthcare professionals like nurses and all sorts yeah, yeah really good experience yeah very good lovely so um yeah you have got some questions for me do you want do. to do you want to fire yes. away yeah so first off i guess what's sort of your day to day like day in day out an average day for you 
Was that what I meant to fill in? Okay, do you want the answer now that I'm in self-employment or do you want the answer as when I was an NHS psychologist or do you want two answers? A bit of both, go on. (laughs) A bit of both, okay. So let's give me, I'll give you an idea of what um, my NHS role was like. So my most recent NHS role was working with working age adults in sort of community mental health team um let me give you an idea let me try and pick an average day so I had what's called a job plan which I had brought with me the 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 kind of idea of a job plan from um, a previous service that I worked with so my weeks always look pretty identical in terms of content so it meant that I knew where my client bookings were going to be because I had to book the rooms in advance. Um, So if I, for example, um, pick a Tuesday, so I was peripatetic, which means that I worked out a number of different bases. Um, So I have one key base, but I found myself, um, yeah, when I was four days a week, I was actually in, I think, five different bases. So it was really frenetic um, but I was really keen to be able to deliver the 50% face-to-face that the service wanted of that grade of staff and people even told me it's not possible it's not possible you can't do it and I was like well that's what I've been recruited to do I'm gonna I'm gonna blooming well go out there and do it so my average um, Tuesday when I was working most recently I was using um, the outpatients department of um, of a psychiatric hospital um, and I would break my days down into clinics so on a Tuesday morning for example I would see three clients <laughs> I would see a client at nine a client at 10 and a client at 11 which meant that come 10 to 12 I just then had to write notes and then I was done and I could um, go and have some lunch and then head off to a different base. So those clients that I was seeing, initially we were doing um, just you know waiting list clients, so people that I was doing interventions for um, that had come to the top of the waiting list for trauma predominantly. Um, but um, after a while, I began to think, we need a group in this service to try and teach some of the stuff that we'd usually do one-to-one so that it speeds up people's access um, to the service. And so, you know, often when you're in um, NHS or employed services, groups take up a whole morning. And I was like, well, that's not going to help the waiting list. That's going to make it worse in effect. And so I I said, I want to use one of my existing client sessions but make that like a one-to-many model, make it a group. Um, So do a whole group within an hour. Um, And so that's what I did. Before I left the service, I'd done that twice. So we'd done a pilot and then we'd done the whole group. So it's slightly shorter as a 50-minute session. But actually in terms of the amount of information we were able to impart and the amount of people we were able to serve within that, it was really useful. And so, you know, I, I pride myself as thinking outside the box a little bit. And then in the afternoon, um, on a Tuesday, I think it was largely um, admin time 
and supervision. So supervision for myself, which is obviously very important, but also supervision for any um, aspiring psychologists. So either trainees or assistants or honorary assistants. Um, also a bit of time to connect with the team as well in the shared office. So hope was that a useful whistle-stop tour of an NHS day, Ben? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's much more than I thought would go on to. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite productive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm quite productive. Have you got any questions or, you know, things that have been triggered for you when hearing that? Um, I guess, so what are the different challenges of working with, obviously you said working adults, but like what different sorts of patients, I guess? Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the main challenges was that I was doing the bulk of the assessments. I love doing assessments. I find it a real privilege. I was doing the bulk of the assessments because they were predictable and they're routine. People knew when to put those into my diary. Um, so I would do an assessment on a Friday morning. And I think I'd also do a, a, an assessment on a Monday afternoon. It's a couple of years ago now, a Monday afternoon. And so there was, there was two slots where people could book in for assessments. But um, for me, one of the main challenges was that I could really connect with people and could really see that they were in need of the service and more than that, that they were going to be a good fit for what we had and were going to respond well to our treatment. So I always used um, the assessment sessions to kind of give a flavour of the work and to check that they were able to engage with it. And so for me, knowing that these people were there, they weren't just names on the list to me. They were people, they were people with stories and lives and loves and things that mattered and things that were hurting them. So for me, the biggest challenge was that people were having a wait for that service. Um, and also that sometimes by the time people got to the top of the waiting list, they would disengage or um, there would be what we call um, DNA, so did not attend sessions. And it's just... Yeah, it's too tricky. But, you know, when you get when you pick up a client that just starts flying and does really well and um, does come regularly, um, you know, it's just golden, golden stuff. It's a real privilege. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Um, that sounds like something that I would be interested in, like working with like one to one sort of with patients and uh, like, like every week or every so often uh, sort of seeing that progression. Yeah, it was uh, something that I'd like to do, I think. What's the work-life balance like, sort of, in the NHS, I guess? In the NHS? Um, for me, it was much better when I went part-time. So I've got two children, which you might well know if you listen to the podcast. Um, you know, when I was first qualified, I was driving 25 miles each way um, through sort of heavy traffic. So before I had children, you know... I had, to, I had to, I worked nine till five. And so I was out of the house, um, you know, from 10 to eight until 10 past six. And that's, that's a lot, five days a week, as well as obviously the exhaustion of if there's traffic and stuff. Um, but I've always been a real fan of lunch breaks. I've always taken <laughs> my break um, and always taken time to have that away from my desk and to encourage my team to do that with me and so that's something that's been really really lovely actually and really for me helps with the work-life balance so um, either 
strolling out to like the local shop or the local deli or eating together and then having a quick stroll or just sitting in sort of communal staff areas and just chatting and connecting and you know forming norming and you know storming in terms of what we do with teamwork um so yeah i think very fondly of my time in the nhs services that i've worked in but it is tricky you know yeah. there's big job um and you know i think we need to make sure that we've got stuff going on outside of work that this isn't all yeah. we do it's, it's tricky because you know um i absolutely think of myself as as being marianne but part of my identity is that i'm a psychologist and so when i first met my husband he was like why don't you do more why why haven't you got more hobbies and i was like I don't know I'm just kind of fulfilled like <laughs> I go do a bit of parties and you know I spend time with my friends and that's enough for me because I'm already fulfilled by my work so you know that might sound yeah. a bit weird but that's that's how it is for me yeah I suppose if you enjoy what you do it's not worth it yeah. um, in terms of what I do in private practice so I very much kept the clinic model um so I do um on a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday morning, I see three clients um, and I wanted to keep it. At a, I wanted to keep it at that. So that, that tends to be as many clients as I see um, in a whole week. Um, so, yeah, I'm done by lunchtime, but I use the afternoons to write for the media or to edit um, podcasts um, or to to work on books and courses and projects so um, I'm definitely not sitting around twiddling my thumbs mm -hmm. and on a Monday and a Friday so I've definitely got better work-life balance now that I'm self-employed so yeah. on a Monday tends to be a bit of a quieter day for me where I can get through some of the admin and the bits and pieces um, on a Friday morning I tend to do podcasts on a on a Friday morning I also go out to personal training as well um, but yeah I I do media coaching and um, yeah, I just, yeah, I love my life actually. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's, uh, there's always, you know, articles that I'm being asked to write or that I pitch for. Um, so yeah, I keep myself very busy and try and diversify my portfolio so that I'm not getting burned out or kind of, yeah, strung out in any particular area. Yeah. Um, what would you say are the key skills to do sort of a job like, like being a clinical psychologist? What sort of skills should I be developing now? Before I get to... Yeah, good question. Probably they're ones that are pretty tricky to measure, really. But I think it's the ability to have empathy, to be moved by the distress of others, but not in such a way that you're panicking or you're kind of brought into the chaos as well. But, you know... Sounds really silly. Why is this the first thing that comes to me? But long before I was a psychologist, I was reading magazines like That's Life, which you might not have even heard of. Um, but I really liked those kind of weekly magazines that have got human interest case studies in. And like I said, it does sound pretty silly now I think about it, but mm -hmm. it gave me a really useful first-hand insight first-hand as, as much as magazine articles can but a first-hand insight into the kind of inner thoughts and feelings of real people and to a variety of um 
yeah, presentations and things that had happened. So the first time I'd read or been aware of people who'd um, been sexually abused as children was via that sort of magazine. And so I felt like that gave me a really useful head start in terms of empathy and in terms of the wide array of things that we need to have some knowledge or experience of um, in clinical psychology. So absolutely doesn't matter. I often some, you know, I will say to clients, I'm really sorry, I've not heard of that before. Could you tell me a bit about that and what that's like for you? Um, but, you know, it does it does help if you've either worked with people in a specific um, presentation or if you've got some knowledge of that, because I think people do feel a bit more, at ease you know like you understand their position and so they feel seen and heard and validated and I guess empowered they're hopeful as well yeah. so that's probably a rubbish answer you know go to supermarket <laughs> buy some magazines but you know just try to get on board with some of the ideas that your future clients might be struggling with I don't that might be a really rubbish answer then it sort of falls into my next question quite nice actually um what books would you recommend I sort of be reading and sort of types of types of books and stuff like that yeah um so I'd be remiss of me not to say the aspiring psychologist collective and the clinical psychologist (laughs) collective of course those are must reads for any aspiring psychologist um but I would read a wide array of books, including autobiographies. So I recently really enjoyed um, Michelle Obama's um, autobiography, um, where she talks about kind of, she really reflects on her intersectionality and how she was able to achieve the things that she achieved even before she met um, her husband Um, and, you know, what greatness they achieved, but how it was really important for her to, um, you know, to connect to unique things that she wanted to achieve. And she wanted, you know, youth specifically to be in a better position when they left office than when they entered it. And so, yeah, just reading reading widely really um and yeah asking questions reading things that that evoke conversations for you so I really really like um the works of Yalom Irvin Yalom um I-R-V-I-N Yalom Y-A-L-O-M so his um but my favorite book of his is um loves executioner and within that he's very honest um, as he talks about his different some of his different clients that he's worked with and the journeys they've made but also his own kind of personal reflections on what it's like to be their therapist another really nice book by him um, which is called um staring at the sun and that's all about um, people with death anxiety and working with not even necessarily all older adults but people that are considering for whatever reason their own mortality Um, and I just really like his style of writing so yeah for anyone who's probably at any stage of their psychology career but certainly at the stage that you're at um, I think it's the sort of book that you can Read now with the understanding that you've got now, but as you progress through your career, pick it up again and, you know, read it again because you'll you'll get more 
in a different way from it once you've got different thoughts, experiences and reflections to draw upon. Yeah, yeah, that sounds, I'll, I'll give that a look. <laughs> um, sort of my next question would be, what sort of opportunities are there for progression like through the NHS? I don't know, you might not, you might not know, I suppose, being like private nowadays, but going like through up the NHS ladder, I guess. Yeah, good question. So um, I, before I started training, I was a band for assistant psychologist. And then I got on to training, which was um, a band six trainee clinical psychologist role. And then you qualify at band seven. I actually left my band seven post, even though I adored it. And even though I'm still in contact with um, some of the people I worked with there, on an almost daily basis, we're on, we've got a WhatsApp group. Um, and, I, you know, they were just lovely, you know, just my tribe. Um, but they didn't have any, at that time, they didn't have any um, progression roles available. And so when I qualified, we were quite fresh out of, um, so we actually, when I qualified, there were no qualified jobs around because, um, I don't you don't know how much you know about um you know mid noughties um financial culture but in 2008 um there was a big crash due to mortgages and things and northern rock and all of that jazz um yeah. and it meant that there was a recession um when I um when I graduated 2011 and there were literally you know when by the time we graduated there was only two out of 16 of us on my cohort who had jobs um and so there just there wasn't much funding i think there were been cuts made to funding um places for training for the doctorate as well so by the time i finished i think my cohort had been reduced to 10 for new people coming on for my course um whereas during training i was 15 uh, one of 15 um, and then I think the following year they'd increased it to 17 and then I think it might have gone up slightly again but by the time I finished it had crept down for the new uptake to 10 which is a lot smaller um, so there just wasn't that level of focus on the importance of mental health and funding it which is really unfortunate actually and I don't think the same thing will happen again um, you know with any future recession some people are saying well there's been a bit of growth in the economy in the last quarter so that means technically we can't be in recession but you know I think we're still thinking that some element of recession is likely especially with the cost of living crisis and so I would hope that there won't be cuts in mental health funding and actually the opposite would be true this time yeah I forgot yeah. your question did I did I answer it I can't even remember yeah yeah <laughs> um what sort of what do you think the progression maybe not progression I don't know oh yeah it was let me let me come back to that bit of question yeah. then so um I left the um the band seven position I was in because as much as they loved me and my work and I loved them and the work it, there wasn't that there wasn't that progression opportunity at that time and so I moved on to an 8A um which was actually closer to home so it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't all bad at all and I learned many many things and made lovely connections there too um but when it came to thinking about 8B there were opportunities and I had been interviewed for 8B opportunities um 
But at the time, I think they've changed it since. At the time, if you, um, even if you were part time, when you um, did a band above, you had to pay full pension contributions, even though I was only part time. And so I actually would have been worse off for more responsibility. So for me, that was that wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. I didn't want to work harder for less money. And whilst it isn't all about the money, you know, it's it sure does help make things a bit easier to, to yeah. organize in your life. Um, so there are progression opportunities and, um, you know, I've got friends working in 8B roles. Um, I don't know if I've yet got anyone working. I think I did have a friend working in 8C, but she moved roles um, and I think went back down to 8B at some point. So there is progression, um, but it's not really something that I was that passionate about, to be honest. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, I love client work, you see, and the further and further up you go, the less and less client yeah. work you tend to do, and I love it. <laughs> um, what do you think? So obviously now going private, is it is it, how much different is your experience like working with clients? So it is different. Um, I'd say the most similarities are health insurance funded work um so that's when it most feels like the nhs work um and by that i mean um, people that work for organizations that fund healthcare for their employees so there's a number of large employees in the uk that you might not even realize um fund um health health cover for their employees um and i'd say that's the work that most feels similar to the nhs um you get people that are really motivated, especially if they're self-funding. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's different. It's different, but still humans, you know, and we've still all been raised in ways that give us experiences that are not ideal and give us ideas about ourselves. And it's still about spreading the, the value and importance of compassion and self-compassion to uh, compassion to others, compassion to self, um, and yeah, seeing what I can do to help people work through grief, depression, and trauma. So you know, my work hasn't changed massively. It's just that I've cut out all the levels of bureaucracy and all the meetings about meetings about meetings, mm -hmm. um, and so I'm able to get my feet on the ground um, and help people at the point that they need it, which feels like a real luxury compared to a couple of years wait on a waiting list yeah yeah that's yeah that's answer my question perfectly I think <laughs> um so in between the sort of point where I am now and getting qualified do you think the system will have changed with mental health obviously it's a growing growing field more more attention in the media and things like that so do you think it will will be a different sort of profession um, good question so um there is a move towards, you know, psychologists, especially clinical ones, are often regarded as an expensive resource by um, by HR and other departments. Um, 
but what I think once people have worked with clinical psychologists and other professionally qualified psychologists as well, um, they see the value of that. They see the value of that for teams and they see the value of that um, for the clients that we serve. Um, but that's not always necessarily seen in the same way as commissioners who are like, well, we could get these band six members of staff. We could get three of those for the price of, you know, probably get four of those for a price of an 8B psychologist, you know, if, if the 8B is at the top of their tree. Um, but, you know, I think there the was certainly at one stage a move towards, um, yeah, less trained and less experienced staff. Um, but I hope there will always be a role for professionally qualified psychologists um, because I see there's a real value. So, you know, so you are in, in you know, you're, I guess you're probably 16 or 17 currently. I was, I was a young yeah. baby, so I was a June baby. So in your position, I was 16. Um, and I didn't start my qualification, I didn't start my training until I was 27 and I graduated age 30. So, you know, you've got perhaps 14-ish years. You'll probably get there quicker than me. I went off traveling around the world as well. So I do <laughs> encourage you to do that too, but um, you'll probably get there quicker than me. Um, what will mental health services be like in 14 years? I don't know. I really, really hope and pray that there will still be an NHS. So even though I don't work in the NHS, I'm a passionate supporter of it. And I really believe in people having access to free healthcare at the point of delivery. So I would really hope there's still an NHS for you to work in and for clients to, to serve, Ben. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> um, I think that's sort of all the questions I've got, unless you've got anything else you'd like to say. I think I'm, you've answered everything uh, amazingly. That I've been, oh, I've thanks Ben um no I think yeah I think we've covered we've kind of covered a lot of ground but um how has it been interviewing me <laughs> what's it been like for you um yeah it's been good yeah um definitely different to anything I've had, had before so yeah I think good experience yeah I was meaning to drum up some other questions as well. And I will level with you all, dear listeners, that I had a diary malfunction <laughs> this morning. And Ben very very politely sent me a message saying, ready when you are. And I, I saw it, I was like, oh, man. Um, so I hadn't, done, I hadn't even sent you a, a link to access recording. And I was, I followed you on socials, like I said I would. And then I was supposed to drum up some um, some other questions. And I'm so sorry busy week busy minds um but yeah you did really well with the questions um that you brought to me so thank you again um for your time um we had a little bit of a, a wi-fi um hiccup which is why ben's not on um not on camera but we're going to get a lovely picture so you'll be able to see his face um yes but thank you so much for your enthusiasm your intrigue wishing you the very best with your A-levels. Um, do much. let me know how you get on um, and do. if you need any support or guidance in future. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
honestly, what a privilege to chat with Ben at this stage of his career. And I'm looking forward to to seeing how his career develops and unfolds. If you've got any ideas for podcast episodes that you think would be useful, do please get in contact with me. You can fill in uh, my contact form at www.goodthinkingpsychology.co.uk forward slash podcast. Uh, but I hope you found the session useful. And if you would welcome any additional support, do consider the Aspiring Psychologist membership, the Aspiring Psychologist Collective book, and the Clinical Psychologist Collective book too. Right, I will look forward to catching up with you for our next episode of the podcast, which will be coming to you from 6am on Monday. Otherwise, thank you so much for being part of my world and I'll catch up with you very soon. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. Hello, my name is Veronica Kasova. I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a Master's in Psychology of Mental Health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others but with myself too. Also not fixating on becoming a psychologist but enjoying life, growth and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.